Working with and amongst the robots, living beyond 100 years and interstellar travel. These are all things that we love to discuss uh, every now and then uh, here at Edelman and we're going to be doing it here today on a slightly uh, ambitious episode um, but one that we hope you enjoy when we discuss um, what life is going to be like as technology takes hold and starts extending our lives and just changing um, the way we as humans uh, operate on this planet that is until we leave it welcome to the latest episode of sideload to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman London, where we talk about how technology is impacting um, the way we communicate, our relationships with brands and each other, and ultimately society. Uh, my name is Simon Madry. I'm part of the tech team uh, here in Edelman London, uh, at least for a short time. This is uh, my final episode of, of Sideload, which is um, uh, bittersweet, but I thought, what better way to, uh, to end than to get the man who's taught me um, so much about the way I think about technology over the last few years than um, Satyan Dial, who is the uh, Senior Director in the uh, Edelman Technology Team. Sat, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. And um, given, given this, this way we think about technology, we're going to go lofty, we're going to go deep, we're going to go a bit to the left and a bit to the right, um, as we always do, and look at um, technology over the next 100 years. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to go through you know, what is going to happen over those 100 years, but when we start thinking about things in those terms, um, suddenly we start thinking about things a bit differently. So um, thanks for uh, offering your brain uh, in that respect. Now, I thought where we'd start is um, looking at the way technology is being represented in culture today. I mean, I was watching TV just the other day and I saw um, uh, an ad about blockchain on TV, which is something we would not have thought about, you know, maybe even six, 12 months ago, right? Now, what do you think it is about technology that fascinates people today? Is it just like, you know, Arthur C. Clarke, who's, um, you know, one of the famous science fiction writers, saying that it's just the fact that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from managing and that it just feeds some inherent and primal curiosity? You know, what, what is it? Yeah, it's an interesting point. So far be it for me to uh, challenge Arthur C. Clarke's view. <laughs> He's far more tapped in. Uh, has been at, when uh, was far more tapped into what's going to come around the corner than I could possibly imagine. Um, but I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying there, actually. And um, here I'd refer to the the author of uh, book we all have been reading, Sapiens, and, and also Homer Deus, uh, yep. Yuval Harari. Yeah? And actually, in, in, in Sapiens, he talks about this kind of where this perhaps fascination with the future came. So actually going back to kind of uh, early man, you know, the forager, really, it was a very hand-to-mouth lifestyle. Didn't need to think about what was coming next, right? So it's very much about uh, where do I get my next meal from? What's the next thing I do uh, in terms of the, the, the land that I'm going to walk over to? But it's only when we started settling and kind of living this farmer lifestyle, we started planting crops, you know, farming in itself, uh, started to see the need for having to plan and think about the future. You know, when do I plant my crops? When do I harvest? So almost this need to see around the corner and think about future and think about technology, I think came alongside that past. I mean, 
arguably, I guess, you know, for, for in many respects, our fascination with technology came, you know, with the, you know, with the stone or the wheel or whatever to call it. But really, I think it started to happen. When we started to think about the future. And if we think about that, then really perhaps that's in the past past twenty thousand years. My question, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, one of the the current fascinations is is AI, and I think that directly talks into you know thinking about the future and the fact that these uh, machines can uh, crunch numbers and come up with solutions that would take us you know much much longer. Um, but I've heard you speak about AI in particular as being in a, a little bit of a bubble and. I want to know why why you think this may be and what we can learn from previous bubbles and you know what do you think is the result that we're heading towards so yeah the the reason for me making that observation was it just took me back to uh late 90s turn of the century actually when the dot-com boom was happening and the number of companies that we saw coming through the doors of pr agencies around that time with that idea that internet breakthrough idea that was going to change the world and there were a lot of companies queuing up around the corner um, many of which hadn't actually fully worked out what the application was what the benefit was you know even who the customer was but because they'd actually captured this point around the internet which by the way been going for 20 years prior to that right Um, it reached that tipping point where it became something that was clearly going to have a big impact in society, but it wasn't fully worked out. And I've, I've kind of seen that from a few of the AI companies that we've seen you know, come through our doors as well. Actually, great technology, great place, actually haven't hasn't worked worked out exactly what the application is. So I think we're in this point where there's this recognition that this, by the way, AI has been going for the discussion and development of AI has been going for decades. Right, we've reached this tipping point where it's actually become uh, necessary and perhaps the, the cost of bringing it to the masses has come down quite considerably. The benefits of, uh, uh, of being somewhat worked out in terms of uh, the value that it brings to people. But even then, you know, when you get down to the nugget of what is it going to do for me tomorrow, it's not entirely there. And then when we look at the kind of types of AI out there as well, right? So you've got, you know, Nick Bostrom, who's from uh, Oxford University, I think. Uh, has written extensively on AI, and there's a great uh, article that I follow from his, which talks and it was really set my t- set my direction for what's going on right now, and this contrast between uh, narrow and super AI. So, largely, we are in a narrow AI space. It's not machines ne- necessarily thinking for themselves. So, uh, really advanced algorithms. To your point, being able to automate a lot of the work that we're doing right now. There's a huge amount of need for that. We've kind of built upon this, uh, or we're existing upon this technology environment where perhaps we're at the end of one period of productivity and about to enter a new one, and perhaps that's going to be one that's going to be driven by, by AI. And so there's this insatiable appetite for this new world. Um, so I think that's what's spurring this bubble. You know, there's clearly an opportunity here, the investment, investors around it uh, a lot of the um, uh, customers let's say the, the, the enterprise buyers are around it and even then consumers are around the, the benefits of it so there's clearly something to invest in what is it delivering day to day hard to tell right now do you think it's um, part of the criticism of companies saying they do AI or have AI is that essentially it's just 
um, a, a sexy label for big data. They just have uh, large processing power. So do you think it's um, incumbent upon companies to maybe just be a little bit more honest with themselves as to whether they actually are working with true AI or whether they're just doing something which is really just really complex and um, uh, high power processing? I think that you can, you can get caught, caught up in um, a narrative or a story when you've got a product, right? So what, what is the what is the story around this product? And if you're thinking about something that's using big data or uh, analytics or algorithms to crunch through stuff, the natural step is this discussion around AI. So you put yourself in that space of AI. I don't think necessarily if I was sitting there as a founder that I'd want to go away from that because, well, as, a, as, a, as someone who's got a startup and wants to obviously see it succeed, you want it to find its most easiest route to succeed or fastest route to succeed. So you're naturally going to gravitate towards that. I think from a how we then as communicators uh, are able to articulate what it means, how it develops, uh, and the value that it brings comes more to the fore. So we can't just go into this blind, uh, you know, and say there's a there, there is a true proposition here. There's a true story here uh, without doing the the due diligence around, you know, as I say. What, who's buying it today? What is the actual true potential of growth? You know, you know the, the stuff that we normally ask uh, of, of, the, of the brands and technology companies we work with. Like, yeah, what is it going to deliver? And if we can't answer that question, then we've got to be asking ourselves, should we be telling stories for these companies? Is it the right time to be telling stories for these companies? And I think that was the issue back with .com. No one really fully understood it. And it's almost like if you had some sort of uh, internet logo next to your company and I saw a lot of it it just meant that there's a huge amount of hype and investment into it uh, and then as we saw when the when the when, when the bubble burst huge amount of uh, companies that were supporting those uh, sorry PR agencies or agencies or uh, PR professionals that were supporting those companies lost a lot of work uh, our fate was tied to these companies and I'm, my, my question is when we go into this next bubble of AI, blockchain, whatever it is, let's just make sure that we learn from that uh, past. There is a huge amount of value. The internet.com proved out to be a huge amount of value, right? Uh, but it wasn't as, as, as we, we took a, a step back back then and really thought about uh, whether these uh, brands, these companies were going to achieve the the magnitudes of revenues that they were forecasting, we would have we would have actually thought about it very differently. So one of the things that we said we wouldn't do going into this is talk too much about it. I know. And we already, we already I know. have, but I yeah, think it's yeah, yeah. really difficult not to at this point. Um, and we also said we'd talk about the next 100 years. So let's do that now. Let's do that. Um, a key promise of, of AI is um, its ability to solve complex problems and even help people live longer, you know, treating disease as a technical problem that can be solved if you, if you will. If we get down that path, what do you think some of the key challenges, maybe let's pick three, of a hundred year life might be if we're extending ourselves that, that far? Even to a hundred year life. So uh, interestingly, there's uh, a book written by uh, Professor Lyndon Grattan and uh, Andrew Scott released, I think it was last year, year before last, on this very topic, a hundred year life. Uh, the premise being that actually, not necessarily as a result of AI, but certainly a result of technology, uh, developments in healthcare, medicines, that people, certainly in the West, let's say, and certainly from 
somewhat more privileged backgrounds were living much longer. Actually, when you get into certain uh, parts of even the West, uh, you see actually the, the reversal, and certainly with, with people with lower social mobility. Uh, but yeah, if, if we look at that point there, that people living longer, we know that we see we see the, see the headlines about uh, the strain that uh, uh, aging population is placing on various institutions. I think those are the challenges that I'd kind of look at, and that's what. Uh, uh, both those professors talked to in this book it's this kind of idea that the institutions that uh, were designed let's say for the post-industrial age or industrial age uh, are no longer relevant or struggling with relevancy at a time when people are going to live a lot longer so from the institution of healthcare to the institution of work to the institution of marriage you know, these things that were uh, existed in the idea that people would live to 60, 65, 70, and now having to, uh, well, actually, uh, under a great amount of strain as a result of it, potentially under a great amount of strain. Um, and we need to rethink what these institutions mean if we're going to live, you know, past that age. So, for example, work, they, they talk about, um, uh, this idea of how we treat work if we're going to leave, live to 100 years, right? So, not going to retire at 65 or 60 has been, has been, the, the, yeah, it's not, you know, it might not happen. I mean, but, and then also, do you want to? I mean, do you get to a point where you're going to be the next 35 years doing gardening or whatever else that you may, may do in retirement, right? Actually, there's a huge amount of uh, value that uh, people can continue to contribute towards uh, society, towards the economy. Um, you know, have a lot more to give, but because we've kind of put this time frame of sixty-five on it, we're saying that actually that, that that's almost redundant and it's gone. And actually, the very idea of work then shifts, right? So, you know, one of the things they talk about is uh, young people taking gap years, you know, uh, uh, before their career, you know, after uh, education. Well, actually, perhaps the gap year can happen somewhere midway midpoint through your life where you have. Uh, a bit of time to reassess, think about what's going to happen next, and then pursue something else. And that's what actually we see a lot of happening already, right? Uh, folks who get to that point, perhaps in their career, where they've reached a certain stage, certain level, and then think, actually, I want to retrain, refocus my skills, find a new path, perhaps go into, into uh, uh, self-employment, um, you know, all these options existing, or even just taking some time out to see what's out there, travel the world for, you know, two, three years. Uh, these things should be not necessarily having to happen at the beginning of our lives, as it were, but perhaps towards the mid or towards the end. And then we come back and think about the other things that we can do. And the same can be said for um, healthcare as well. If we're thinking about the fact that we're going to live to 100, 120, what are the things that we're doing today you know, as young people that, uh, you know, in terms of how we look after our well being, our, our um, mindfulness, all those things that are, you know, really, really, uh, uh, come to the fore in the workplace as well as in everyday life. How do those things start to develop into uh, the healthcare, the, the delivery of healthcare, which we're starting to see as well, right? You know, mm-hmm. Technology is now also having an impact there for a lot of the work that you've been doing, for example, in yeah. health tech, right? It's like we've been wondering when this moment's going to come where there's, there's a health and tech kind of piece, but clearly uh, there's a there's a significant amount happening there, um, and that's only going to continue. No, absolutely. I think that's one of the fascinations for, for myself in particular, that, that convergence. So, so do you think that companies now need to think much further ahead in terms of their contribution to society or what their products might be doing to people who are living now or maybe living much longer than we anticipated? Yeah, and I think they, I, I think they already are being 
posed with that challenge. So there's this idea, um, and I have to look up the reference view, so come back to that move. You know, this idea of the end of productivity, the end of innovation, actually. Um, we're not necessarily driving the same levels of growth in recent time. We're not seeing the same levels of growth in recent times in certainly Western economies, but, you know, actually China being the other end where you've seen significant growth, but even there you're starting to see uh, uh, a slowdown. Consequently, you know, if we can't get to the same state of a, um, uh, productivity growth and then we rule out a significant portion of the population because of the age they've reached, where actually at the ends of our ability there. And I, th- I think so businesses, organizations as a whole are being challenged with that. Um, if, if growth is the only measure, you know, uh, economic growth is one measure, but there are other levels of growth as well. But if, if we're ruling out people, excluding people from uh, part of this contribution, then we're actually going to st- struggle. Um, so yeah, there's certainly a move in that direction. I mean, as an example, what we hear about in the recruitment space is this idea of returnships. Mm. Um, where people are coming in, you know, battle back into the work uh, working environment, having spent some time out, uh, and not necessarily go, being able to go straight in, you know, the level previous level they were, but actually trying to experiment and figure out what's right for them at age 40, 50. Uh, that's something that's certainly increasing, certainly that a lot of employers are looking towards as well. So it's, uh, it's definitely something that's coming towards us, whether we realize it or not. Uh, and we've got to be ready to. Uh, business has got to be ready to take advantage of it. And I can imagine that if uh, if the robots are automating some of those tasks, people that are a little bit older and previously maybe not be able to do those physical tasks can therefore add value in some other ways and this, we have the, the centaur workforce or something like that. that exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, don't, I mean, I don't want to go too far down that well, line no, no, but no. You know, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a skeptic of those kind of things as well, you know, the, the, the iRobot piece. Um, but, you know... Uh, yeah, there's 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 got to be some an idea of what it is, what work is for crucially, what what the value of work is, uh, and what the value that personal individual value is, you know, uh, as we start to see things being automated or machines coming into play. So, yeah, there's 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 huge fertile territory, I think, and it's a case of exploring what it means. And coming back to your point 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 around, I guess, purpose. I mean, you know, for me, what purpose is there if it's if it's not social purpose? I'm trying to think anything else that's not social purpose, if that makes sense. So we are human beings. We are social creatures. So if our purpose is not social, then, you know, what are we doing? Uh, and I think, you know, perhaps there's been a period of not un- not fully understanding, appreciating that, but certainly living that. Um, and we're now starting to perhaps get, get in touch with it again. So we've, we've previously talked about a 100-year life. What goes beyond that if technology is limitless? Um, you know, what comes what comes beyond that? I mean, as I said, so where the hundred year life book that I mentioned was very much focused on on that period, I've heard uh, podcasts from folks who imagine themselves living way beyond that. So uh, Justin Westcott pointed me towards uh, the exponential wisdom podcast from Peter Diamandis, and I remember listening to one where him and another chap actually talk seriously about the, their own idea of living up to 600 years. Oh God. 600 years. In- incredible. Where does, where does that enter? You know, and their view was, again, on you know, the developments in terms of uh, bioscience, healthcare, technology, it being a reality. Now, you know, it depends on how it might be something that you see from a Silicon Valley bubble, but, you know, there are some serious 
folks looking at and investing in this area as well, right? Um, and then I think, well, actually, if we think about uh, life beyond this planet, if you think about a planet where uh, perhaps, depending on who you listen to, the impacts of uh, things such as climate change or even an asteroid hitting us at one point, we've got to certainly think about uh, life beyond this planet. And if we're going to go life beyond this planet, uh, we have to go, get into the world of interstellar travel. We need to go beyond this universe. If you're going to think about going beyond this universe, you need to go in a ship that's going to be, you know, travelling across the cosmos for hundreds of years. So actually, a 600-year life would be one way of transcending this planet, transcending this universe. So it seems like a very plausible thing when you put it in that context. I mean, you know, we can try and colonise Mars, which is what you know Elon Musk is doing bold steps there, try and shape a planet towards the needs our needs, or we can go and find another planet that we can uh, live on and exist on. And for that, we have to go interstellar. Wow, that's uh, it's really deep. <laughs> As we do, we're just going to take a quick pause here and listen to what happened uh, last time on Sideload, uh, which was all about digitization. Technology is a very broad term because it can you know, be everything from mobile on through to uh, the automated assistant, digital assistants, etc. Uh, I think we need to be doing a better job of understanding the implications of artificial intelligence, uh, the ways in which that will inform our clients' customer service operations uh, and, and their transformation from a digital arena in that perspective. Um, I also think, you know, mobile continues to evolve. Uh, and as much as we've all been living at least for a decade with these, the world of smartphones, I, you know, when I go out and talk to technologists, when I talk with clients in the mobile space, um, there's often a sense of we've seen nothing yet, um, which is a little intimidating given the implication of what we've already experienced. Um, but I think that watching and paying close attention to some of the emerging technologies is going to be incredibly important to try to forecast where our future is going. So welcome back to uh, this episode of Sideload where I'm speaking with Sat Dial about uh, the next hundred years and uh, we promised some uh, some lofty conversations and I think uh, we've, we've got there but we're going to go a little bit deeper and I know some people might be thinking we're getting a little bit philosophical and, and existential but I think it's important to explore because there's a trend that we're seeing more and more for example discussions around um, ethics for example so I want to ask you how important in your mind is it for companies to start thinking beyond products and services and think specifically about cultural and societal impact I mean we've touched on this slightly but just to ask the question quite directly first hmm. i don't think the business haven't been thinking about it i think it's it's been at the forefront uh, and remains at the forefront for many reasons um perhaps there's just been a little bit of prioritization in terms of uh, where the business is going in terms of products and services versus the purpose piece as i say what purpose is there if, if there is no social if it's not social purpose so that's kind of inf- i think is infused in the idea of an organization of a corporation or a business that there is a, a, a there is a need to serve society, so I think that's gone away. But I think we're kind of at this point, as, as I mentioned. So um, the Robert Gordon who gave a famous talk on TED about the death of innovation, the end of growth. You know, really saying essentially that our ability to uh, create 
new things. And I come back to earlier talk, to talk about kind of uh, technology, the wizardry, the magic uh, has come to an end to a certain degree. And this idea of continued growth in itself has come to an end to a certain degree because if you compare uh, where the rate of growth has ha- happened today to 100 years ago, even 200 years ago, it certainly slowed down considerably. So this purpose thing is, I think, is again, is getting in touch with what the actual function of an organization, of a business, of an institution is. Um, and so it's a case of real, re- re-realizing that this is uh, at the fore and this is what kind of people are looking for uh, from their com- uh, from their companies they work with or companies they buy from. So uh, our trust barometer, every year we run it, uh, people will say that businesses can continue to make profits while doing the right thing, while serving society, um, while living out their values. If people want to say that and subscribe to businesses, then it's clearly there's a potential there. There's a market for this. So it's not something that's kind of so so far away and so far gone that it can't happen. This is a case of understanding what it means to your business and then and embedding it in the way that you pursue it. And we see it in a number of large-scale corporates. We're seeing a number of our own clients are pursuing this as well. And so now that we've gone down that path, I mean, let me now flip that and ask, does every company need a purpose? I mean, if you are a startup who is coming up with just a uh, an interesting mobile application or something which is just um, going to serve people in a very specific way you know is is it always required yes i think i think it's a it's there is a i mean can you just come up with a cool product that people would just like for example yeah but then you gotta understand what it is what is it they like what what purpose is it serving in itself right um so interesting conversation i had with a chap called julian blake who uh runs an organization called digital agenda um yeah, and the work that he's doing is in this area of technology for good. Again, I come back to that point around uh, what what good is it there? What what good is there if it's not for, for human beings, for people, right? So if you're so if you're creating something that has value, it's going to serve some sort of need. And what we're what we're seeing is actually this area around do you want to call it social innovation? It is huge because there are loads of needs that are not being fulfilled right now by many businesses by governments you know by the various institutions that kind of surround us there's just simply too much work to be done and if we can plug that gap through innovation through new startup through new technology you're going to have a mass audience for it and that's what these um, startup these early stage companies really want to achieve right so whether it's a blockchain company or an AI company they want to reach a mass audience they want to reach some sort of mass need and uh, you know there's the whole piece around disruptive innovation and so you know and you know how much I, I go on about this when people talk about uh, use the word or ban the word disruption when it just is purely innovation and actually the guy who coined the term Clay Christensen disrupts innovation you know he wrote an article not so long ago in Harvard Business Review about kind of revisiting this idea of disruptive innovation and setting the record straight and what he was saying is actually disruptive innovation is something that begins life by serving the underserved end of the customer so those who don't necessarily will never get the benefit of a product having huge benefit from that product then it working its way up through towards those who don't necessarily need it, but will pay more money for it. Um, 
that's essentially the path of disruptive innovation. So there is, to, to my mind, actually the purpose piece is infused in anything that you want to do if you want to become a disruptive startup. So for, for companies and brands that um, may be listening or that we work with, you know, where does this level of thinking come from? Does it have to come from the top? And second to that is how do we ensure that it filters down through the business and actually ends up reaching R&D or product development or even just the audience simply? So I'm not the kind of person to determine that business strategy and how kind of companies should be thinking about I'm sure there's plenty of other consultants there. Um, what, what we think about it from a communications perspective, right? So interestingly, recently watched a documentary, short documentary by a chap called um, Gerd Leonard, who's a bit of a futurist. And it's a really, it's a really interesting piece. It's worth uh, watching when you get a chance. Um, he talks about the idea of uh, transcending technology and about humans and individuals Tra- uh, transcending technology and the only real innovation that's necessary now is individual innovation so to your point about does it come from the top does it come from the bottom I think perhaps that's the wrong way to look at it look at it it's to look at it from the context of how do we drive it from an individual perspective and then it then proliferating itself across the organizations in which we work work with and certainly what you see in this world of dare I say AI AI again uh, um, blockchain all these other emerging technologies is certainly a, a focus on the individual and uh, how much more we can almost create these superhumans, you know, being being able to use technology to amplify our capabilities, uh, to uh, achieve things bigger than us, a bit bigger than ourselves, uh, and that's the kind of way that I'd look at it. And certainly, when you when I look at the again from a communications lens and how we articulate that back to people to audiences that's what we want to drive it's not longer no longer about just uh, the the business it's about the individual in the business so sat thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to us about um, all these ideas from 100 year life to ai and uh, beyond uh, it's been great having you in and uh, to everyone that's been listening please do uh, tune in to future episodes I, I leave you very much in the capable hands of Jermaine Dallas and the team here for um, sideload well into the future for another 600 years of episodes um, and if you'd like to get in touch just email sideload at thanks